Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. My friends on the beat knew about my my history of having tried out with this movie and read for her. And they're like, you have to go say hello and tell her that you read for her as a 12-year-old. And I said, mm, no, it's sort of silly. Why she you're not going to care? They're like, you have to. You're, you're here. It would be great. So I go over and I said, hey, Penny, how are you? I'm Mark Feinstein. I'm the writer for the Daily News. Uh, funny story, actually. I read for you for, for big back in 1987, 88. Um, and she looks at me and goes, oh, and then turns her head the other way. <laughs> <laughs> The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Everybody's got a story like that. They're all wonderful. My story is Ari Melber. Okay. Who? Oh, okay. Um, Feinstein got the open. Nice. Yeah. There's so much that we can talk about. We can talk about Kevin Durant and his injury, Mm. the disappearance of Adam Silver as NBA commissioner. He doesn't do anything anymore. Talk about the Players' Championship, Rory going plus four in the first day. Probably upset that there's no limited field. And yeah, no watch cut. the cut line. Yeah, they're probably upset. We talk about Patrick Ewing. Big surprise for me that they fired him. That's a big surprise for me, and I'll talk about that eventually. That's not this show. This show is about a box of that. <laughs> and we got a big box of that from Kirk Taylor at New Balance. We yes. got a big box of I that? I mean, we, by the sense of I got a... And I got the Well, we, my household, physically got the box. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing like my children who are waiting patiently for the Amazon delivery of two uh, stuffed snake animals. Somehow they've decided they're obsessed with snakes, so they know Dad's terrified of them. Right. So they were waiting by the door, and this arrives. Yeah. Is this for us, Father? Yeah. Yeah, it's a pair of those <laughs> 990s that I love. The gray 990s that I love, and another pair. This is the Moore V4, Dad. These is are really up. cool looking. Oh, yeah, look at those. These are, what is this? The, the Moore V4 in electric teal. It's yeah. really cool looking. I like the color on that one, yeah. Yeah, it's a nice some, thick sole for you greens. as you walk the dog. Yeah, I, I'm really. Big thanks to Kirk for a big box of and that. There's another, uh, there's another uh, unlaced shoe that might be going to New Jersey. Okay. Oh, yes, that one. Yeah, so the yeah. unlaced shoes. That's the style now, I have to say. And it's a slip-on. People know that I'm a, a New Balance guy. But I think Skechers came up with that first. And they, they advertise it a lot, that you can just step into the shoe. I have, well, they have that protected heel. I have weak ankles. I, I need, I like... You like the laces. laces. I do. Right. I like something that I can make tight on my foot. And so I'm very grateful for a big box of that. Very grateful. <laughs> Um, so enough shoes. These will last you for a long time. You said that I would die in them. Well, I don't think you'll die <laughs> in said, them. You said the. I think the you'll rest have. I think you'll have a few unopened boxes. Yeah, I, I think Michael said you. You don't need to order any more. And you said I want to be buried with all the boxes of my yeah. shoes. So from Lee the Steinberg, not that Lee Steinberg. He writes, <laughs> "I'm writing to thank you for all of the mentions of Penn basketball over the past few weeks." Well, you know, Michael went to Penn You're and I've gone the to the, the palestra. Um, <laughs> I love what they've done with the palestra, by the it's way. Gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Steve Bilski did most of that. I listened to the show because of my dad, Sid Steinberg, who after his family in the Baltimore Orioles loves nothing more than Penn basketball. Our family's had season tickets to the games for almost 30 years, and I grew up going to every single Penn basketball game with my parents and sister. Michael may even remember us as the two little girls in cheerleader outfits running around the court. It's an annual reminder of the season's passing, returning to the palestra to watch our beloved Quakers. As my sister and I went off to college, Dartmouth, much to the shock of those who had seen us grow up in Penn cheerleading uniforms. The only rules were that we couldn't root for our alma mater in basketball unless we were dating a player on the team. 
Like your show, the Penn basketball season is a way for me to stay connected with my dad since I've made the move from Philadelphia to your neck of the woods in Washington and still missing the DuPont Circle Bethesda Bagels. We still have the same four seats as 30 years ago. I'd like to invite you, Michael, even Bootsy and the Hammer, to any Penn game whenever you'd like on behalf of my parents who don't know that I've emailed you. It would be a tremendous joy for them to share their love for the program with you and Michael. Maybe Tony can even join my mom in complaining that the seats are still bleacher seats. I know those seats <laughs> and not the cushy chair backs at half court that my dad refuses to move to. Thanks for all you do in La Cheeserie. Obviously not that Lee Steinberg. Um, so what do you think of that? Isn't that That's sweet? such a kind offer. We've been talking about trying to take the boys up to Philly because it's such an easy train ride. They love that. And I think they're now old enough to do so. So maybe next year. That would be But just... make sure you say hi to Jonathan Tanwell because I'm sure he's going to be covering some of those games. And you might even see him down at Princeton if you're traveling this weekend. Yeah. Well, we, we root... We root for Penn in the yes. Ivy League tournament. Yes. We root for Penn. Um, this comes from Emily Rubenstein, who writes, I hope this message finds you well. My name is Emily Rubenstein. hope I pronounced that correctly. And I'm with the Harry Walker Agency, an Walker. exclusive, an exclusive <laughs> speakers name. bureau based in New York City. <laughs> I'm trying to get in touch with you regarding a potential paid speaking engagement for Tony Kornheiser. Oh. Could you please provide me with the following information? What is Tony's current paid speaking fee U.S. domestic. You said fifteen million. Was that it? I don't. I don't. <laughs> zero. It's. I don't do it. Uh, is this fee net or gross? That's a great question. This fee net or gross? Again, shots. Does the fee? Does the fee contain? <laughs> I want glassware. Does the fee contain our agency's commission? Gross or does our agency's commission need to be added on top? Net. If the commission is included in the fee, gross. What commission are we able to take? What are Tony's travel requirements? First class, coach class, travel expenses for one, two, etc. Where is Tony currently based and where does Tony travel from? Thank you in advance and I hope, look forward to hearing from you soon. If you don't even know where I am, you know. Very it's excited. a template form, but it sounds like a scam. Yeah, I mean, aren't you supposed to tell me who wants me? I guess you don't want to do that for fear I'll make my own deal. Don't worry, I'm not going to do it. I mean, I'm not going to do it. I wouldn't even do it if I could do it in my house. You think there's already a target that they have? or, or I don't know. Potential yeah. client. No, you're just a big name that I they would like to get on, the, yeah, get on the roster. You know, they, don't, they don't necessarily have a gig in mind, but they know that they could get could you. Could Ari Melbourne and I do something together? A little Q&A? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Who are you? Yeah, a little debate. That would be the Q. Do a sports <laughs> debate. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just don't, I don't think it's for me. Well, mostly because you don't travel, and I think well, I this don't is... speak. I speak every day. S- I don't. Saliza has talked about this. I think he's done these where you get flown down and, and yeah. style, yeah. and and you you, and you make... make a bunch of dough. Yeah. I think you should just I'm have not... Jared right back with the most ridiculous demands and just see what happens. <laughs> see if they come up with any offer. Two million dollars net. <laughs> right. I don't want to do it. If actually this is so crazy, I would have to do it, and yeah. I don't want to do it. I would try right. to get out of it. <laughs> It's just crazy. Um, what's the big news? Is the big news the Players' Championship? No, really. Big news. We got an email, uh, email from a longtime listener, one Chan Hardwick down in Okatee, South Carolina. Uh, when he heard about Chessie and her issues, Go ahead. he sent us a Pet Honesty multivitamin 10 in 1 uh, that he was giving mm-hmm. to Charlie. So we should look at that. He said this happened to Charlie. Uh, yeah, and I think it also will help with various you know, seasonal allergies, some like boint, uh, joint issues. Yeah. She knows we're talking about it. She pooped this morning. I was very grateful because it's going to rain all day, and it didn't rain this morning, and she pooped, and I was grateful. My gratitude, I gave her a cookie as a result of that. Um, I think the biggest news where I live is that uh, Patrick Ewing is not going to be coaching Georgetown anymore. 
There is not a day that goes by in the last two years that if I'm at Columbia, where I don't get asked, what are they going to do with Patrick Ewing? And everybody at Columbia, um, a lot of Georgetown fans, a lot of Georgetown grads, they go, he can't coach. This is not news. He can't coach. He's terrible. He's terrible. Not only is he terrible, he drives people off. Yeah. Like nobody stays. It's a disaster. They play their games downtown in whatever that arena is called these days. Is it the Capital One Arena? What's it called? Uh, yeah, the Verizon Center. The Verizon yeah, Center. Yeah, I'll always know it as the Verizon whatever. Center. Yeah. It seats about 16, 5, 17. Yeah. They get so. 2,000 people. Yeah. You know what Georgetown used to be? And Georgetown was sold out all the time. Georgetown was one of the top 10 programs in the United States of America. It's, it's done right now. It's, it's fallen through the cracks. And is Patrick Ewing directly responsible? No, but he's there in the leadership role when this has happened. They don't win any games. They win like seven games a year. And every single time I was asked about this, I said the same thing. They're not going to fire him. They're not. He's the greatest star they have ever had. He is the legacy of John Thompson. John Thompson would not have allowed the school to part ways with his son without Patrick Ewing getting that job. This is like, this is like a mob novel. The control that John had over that program, and deservedly so. He won a national championship. Come on. I never, I, Nigel, you know this, I never thought they would fire him. No. I thought yeah. they would let him go for as many years. I didn't say they'd rehire him. Yeah. But they'd let him go for as many years as were left on that contract. Yeah. And they have not done that. No, they thought they painted themselves into a corner with that extension and be like, oh, well, they're just going to have to ride this out. So, no, it's very surprising that they've moved on. He had one great week as a coach. He had the Big East tournament three years ago. Yeah. That's it. Last year, he won did no games in the Big East. But what's the lesson you always say about contracts? I mean, you, you can get out of this if you yes, want you to, can. and you're looking at the brand of Georgetown basketball versus the individual here of the coach who is, uh, who is you know, intricately you know, tethered to that franchise. That's right. And you figure there'd be a way to say, we want to protect your legacy, the legacy of this, this whole entity, so let's work a way to get you out of this role that clearly is not a fit. Um, and Patrick Ewing, to his everlasting credit, said, I'll always be a Hoyer. Yeah. And I understand what happened. He'll get a job as an assistant coach in the NBA. That's what he did for 20 years. He'll do that again. He will never be a head coach in college on a D1 level. That's not going to happen. Um, I'm... Are you talking about falling through the cracks? Are those cracks... uh, Will those cracks be available for them to rise back up? I think so if they get the right guy. I mean, mean, if they get Rick Pitino, they'll rise back in two years. I don't think they'll hire Rick Pitino, but Rick Pitino's name is going to be out there. Yeah, you can do that. One guy can turn a program. Patrick Ewing turned it this way. But they are right now. They're a Patriot League team. That's what they are. Yeah. Um, And I don't know... I, I mean, there's... By doing this... There's an indication that the people who are running Georgetown University want to get back in the limelight, or Stevie Wynn would, would say, back in the high life again. But they're not in it now. Boy, oh boy, are they not in it now. And if they hire the wrong coach and they stay at this level, they're done. There's yeah. nobody, you know. The Big East has taken a big hit. A lot of teams that everybody loved left and went elsewhere. 
They got this contract on Fox. It's not the same as ESPN. It's, it's just not. And they're filled with Midwestern schools. Yeah. They have no real identity. Nobody knows what the Big East any, is anymore. You know. So, I don't know. Once I got one email <clears throat> that uh, Georgetown would look at Ed Cooley, who's the Providence coach, who's a very good coach, whose daughter apparently goes to Georgetown. Ed Cooley would be a good choice there. Oh, but we'll see what they do. I'm just, and we'll talk to Ryan about this. I'm surprised. I'm surprised they did it. Yeah. I really am. So, anything on the players? Uh, no, we're watching the big three with you have uh, you have the one, two, three players ranked together and they didn't perform. And you're that's Rom, McElroy, and, and Scheffler. Scheffler posted a number late, but you're looking at Rom, who's chipping and putting is not what it was years ago. And you're looking at Rory, who's the best driver of the golf ball, but is having some issue with his equipment where the driver that he had been using, he was worried that it was too close to the CT line, which means it would be not conforming. It'd be sort of too... Bouncy. So it's not far giving. It, it well, it is far giving. Right. It's too far giving. At least the old <laughs> one is, and the new one. He, it's at those speeds. It's so hard to dial it in. Um, and so he's playing out of the rough, and he was talking about how the rough was a little bit more penal. And you're seeing over the last couple of weeks, Rory's wanting birdies. He's wanting birdie fest. He wants those opportunities, and he's being presented with the challenge of par. And last week he fell just short of that. And this week we'll see how he how he rebounds in round two. You think he'll make the cut? I think he'll probably make the cut. I mean, he's so good at trying to figure out where that is. Um, it probably helps him that he's going out early, though that actually might be the hardest uh, part of the course this morning versus the afternoon where the rain might soften the course a little bit. But, uh, I mean, that's. I think that's going to be the target. Okay. All right. Although uh, the big news is Cam Smith, who's playing at a public par three course a mile down the road, taking pictures with fans. Cam Smith is the defending champion. Lost his parking spot. Yes. The, 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 the parking spot that we know at every golf course that says reserved for defending champion. He's out. He used to play there all the time. He's barred from the course. The rumors are he's barred from other courses in the area and that he's been thinking about buying his own. I think, he, I think his friends have said that there's no, there's no truth in those, but they're out there. Wow. I wish he would show up as a spectator. <laughs> and you'd have to, the golf channel would have to focus on him for hours be a great move on Cam Smith's part. And by the way, I'm but not... But in full uniform, like golf shoes. Yes, everything. Oh, yeah. Like he's playing. Maybe bring his caddy with him with yeah. his bag. Yeah. Uh, and I would, I would say this. <laughs> Where's the I'm, first D? <laughs> I don't, for one second, I don't... I'm not angry at the PGA Tour for banning him from this event. Not at all. No, this but is I'm a tour But I'm just saying, event. as the PGA Tour president, Jay Monahan, said, it's awkward. It's awkward, kids. <laughs> Yeah. He lives there. He lives in Ponte Vedra. Yeah. Oh. He wants to buy his own course. He should buy that course. <laughs> should make them an offer they cannot refuse. I will take a break. Uh, Jason Lock and Four, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This comes to us from Jay Johnson, and he... Gives me a good touche because I called his band Mindy Valentine first. <laughs> and he says, thanks so much for playing the Mandy Mindy Valentine tunes on Friday. 
I want to share another new song I wrote called Marianne that'll be out this Friday. That's today. It's a playful, cheeky love song about the opportunity costs of playing in a touring rock band with a narrator stuck in a van longing to be out at sea with the title Siren. <coughs> Excuse me, Alex Wesley engineered and performed the drums and percussion. I wrote, sang, played the guitars, bass, and ukulele, and our bandmate Ryan McCowan, whose stage name is Descry, played keys. We've been playing this and my other solo songs around New Jersey and Philadelphia as Jay Johnson, featuring Over the Counter. OTC is a New Jersey-based collective of eight singer-songwriters involved in each other's projects. Everyone's a wonderful player and writer in their own right. I'm honored to be part of it. So that's nice. That's out today on all the streaming services. It's called Mary Ann. And he also plays with a country-western band called Mandy Valentine, not Mindy Valentine. It's lovely. It's a great song. Yeah, it's really good. It plays in Jason Locke and Fora. Um, and, you know, I don't... Like, I know that you've been declarative and definitive about your feelings about what will happen with Lamar Jackson and your feelings about Aaron Rodgers. I, I, I guess the Lamar Jackson part that I would ask you is, do you read anything new into the way the Ravens tagged him? They tagged him at the lower number, not the higher number. Sure. Do you read anything into that? Well, I mean, I, it creates more wiggle room for them, and they they already have, you know, cap issues, although, again, it, it boggles my mind because they're not really big on spending. <laughs> you right. know, if they're not big spenders, they don't have a whole lot of bloated individual contracts. Um Yet, you know, here they stand, and, and Lamar, carrying Lamar's cap charge at $32 million is is a whole lot more um, palatable to them than forty five. Uh, despite that, they still, you know, agreed to trade the player who um, played the most reps for them on defense last year and who wore the green dot the last three years as sort of their central nervous system for a future seventh-round pick just to get out of his cap hit. So it's not optimal even right now, but that difference between those two figures is very real. And I think also the owner reached a point where he was like, you know what, yeah, let's let's save that money in cap space potentially, and let's let the market really speak. You know, I I don't want to hear that this was restricted or that was restricted or we had too much control of the process or – if if we're essentially letting him hit the market, you know, with with tethers, right? He's hitting yes. the market, but we can still can keep decide him. in the end, right? We have that we have finality in the end. We have a decision to make, but in the meantime, he can he can sort of act as an unrestricted free agent and find out exactly from these other people's lips without you know us having to grant this or grant that. He can have free reign to to talk to these teams to to market himself as he sees fit to talk to these owners, and then we'll let it come out in the wash. And then we'll see if the two ones make sense for us. We'll see if the contract makes sense for us. Or we'll see if there's a tag-and-trade scenario where, you know, we negotiate something a little bit off the grid, and he agrees to a contract that we're not, you know, that we're not going to actually pay. And we trade him to somebody for something other than those two um, first-round picks. So I I get it. Um, But I, I, I also, as tends to be, all things NFL, would caution people um, to not get caught up in the hyperbole and the sort of extremism and the people in the media um, or on the periphery of it who are sitting there saying, you know, Lamar Jackson has no market, Lamar Jackson lost, Lamar Jackson needs an agent. Like, I I would just, I would push back strongly on on all of that. Like, this process has barely just begun. 
Um, it's uncharted territory for everybody. And, and these teams lie all the time anyway. Like, that's what they do, especially this time of year. And why would a GM or VP of player personnel or PR guy tell a reporter, yeah, we're all in on this cat. We got to get him. Have you seen our quarterback room? Woo, we suck. Imagine what he could do for us. Like, why would they do that, right? No, they set expectations the other way. We love Desmond Ritter. How would anybody want anything other than Desmond Ritter? Like, why, 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 would, we, why would we go after Lamar Jackson? Like, you don't want to upset your locker room. You, don't want to, you may still have to play Desmond Ritter. And the reality is, unless you're talking to the owner himself or herself, it's kind of irrelevant because it will be an owner ultimately who decides that they're comfortable doing something that they think will make Steve Bashotti right. flinch. Right. It's not going to be the GM. It's, this is an owner-driven situation. You just saw it play out here the last two-plus years with this player and the only owner he's played for to this point. So I just think there's a lot of people jumping to a lot of conclusions, including collusion, although – do I think there's an element of that in, sure. in this, Tony? 100%. There's absolutely. To what degree? We don't know. 100%. No one can legally even talk to him yet at this point. You, do you, you have always thought he was destined to leave. Do you still believe he is destined to leave? I, I still think it's very likely, yes. Okay. Um, it, you okay. know, they, they are, I just sort of mentioned how vulnerable. Okay, so they traded Chuck Clark. It's not the end all be all, but he was a very valuable player for them. They're talking about cutting players who... Um, don't have bloated contracts, but they just need to do anything they can to move $4 million here, $6 million there to be able to function as a football team. And even all that is just to get to a level of functionality. It's not to get to a level where they're even pretending or whispering to anybody on or off the record that they're going to do anything significantly in free agent. It's free agency. In fact, they're already messaging everybody, hey, man, like we don't do that in the best of times, and this ain't the best of times. Like, okay. you know, they're talking about losing their best free agents. And they're not, again, not great. I mean, it, it, you know, Ben Powers, is he an earth changer? No. But he's a guard who played the most snaps of anybody on their offense last year, who they finally developed, and who will make pretty good money somewhere else. So this is all to tread water. So I, 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 I say that because if that's where they are and somebody else is sitting on 50-plus million in cap space and they think Lamar Jackson himself is going to win them a division and we don't have to do a whole lot in year one, you could put 100, 120 million up front. You could create a climate where it's more upfront money than this owner would probably like to cut in a check, and the year one cap number is just bonkers. And then things resettle in year two, and year three, and year four. So it's not like your your team building for the new team is curtailed throughout the totality of the contract, but you're you're <coughs> excuse me, you're swallowing hard in real time okay. in an area where the Ravens don't have much wiggle room. Okay. So I think if people are strategic about it, they work something out that ends up probably being different than the two ones, but results in Lamar Jackson somewhere else. All right. Well, let me get to this, because as you've said, this is owner-driven, and it only takes one owner. It only yeah. takes one owner to put an offer sheet on the table that Lamar Jackson likes. The Jets are apparently in hot pursuit of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Can you, ask, can you yeah, answer this question? Why on earth would you spend the same amount of money for Aaron Rodgers for one year or two years and not spend this money on Lamar Jackson yeah, for six years? Why would you not go after Why Lamar Jackson? Why would you be on a, on a plane waiting for this guy to emerge from his coffin or you know, his, his tiny house of darkness or whatever to give you an audience <laughs> to, again, yes, take on an, 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 a cumbersome, a terrible contract 
for a declining player yeah. in a market where just take a step back and look and think if that's really going to work. Like, you know, him on the McAfee show every Tuesday and, you know, 300 beat writers waiting to pounce. Like, he doesn't really like being around young players. He wants to bring all his old guys with him. That's a very young team. Um, the Packers are going to try to hold you hostage for more than he's worth, and, and maybe they'll get it, maybe they won't, but you still have to go through all that minutia as well. How, why would you be doing all of that without at least having spent a couple of days with Lamar Jackson down in South Beach? You know what I mean? Figuring out what that's all about. Like, you would say it's organizational malfeasance. You would say it's, it, it's just on the face of it um, illogical and stupendous and baffling and asinine. But it's also completely on brand for Woody Johnson and the New York Jets. Right. So, like, right. you know, there are reasons why horrible franchises stay horrible for so long. You know, and only periodically quasi-pop their head up somewhere near the water level because, well, parody's going to do that for you, you know, once every six, eight years. Hell, it even did it for Dan Snyder a time or two. But, like, they are who they are. And if this is how this goes down, and I'm a, and I'm a Jets fan, like, really go back and look at, the totality of Rodgers' season, especially the second half, um, and 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 think about what a Lamar Jackson could have done for your franchise versus a guy who's going to play one year. It's not going to be his fault no matter what goes wrong. He's going to be able to hold your franchise hostage like he did the the Packers, um, and he's not getting any younger. He's, I mean, it's it just it's it, and 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 who are they competing with? Like who who else? Everybody's known that this dude's not playing in Green Bay for a long time. Who else is staking out his coffin? I, I don't see anybody. Right. That's how. Yeah, I would ask. I would certainly sit in a room and say, dude, shouldn't we go after Lamar Jackson if we're going to spend? Like, how do we do this before we at least know what that could be? Yeah. All right. I got another question. You have a story in the Washington Post today about all the quarterbacks that you have going at the top of the draft, and you quote a general manager as saying, "Bryce Young is going to be the first quarterback taken." He's 5'10". Yes, he is. Uh, I mean, this is... Better than 5'9", Tone. I know, but it's not as good as 6'2". No. Um, no. He's 5'10". Now, it happens. Drew Brees was a little bit under 6 feet. Russell Wilson had 10 great years, and he's a little bit under 6 feet. 5'10 is 5'10". Um, wow. And they want to take him with the overall... One, or Yeah, right. trade so, up and get the, the overall Bears one. aren't going to take him, but somebody right. can trade the That's one. That's right. And the consensus among you know people I talk to coming back from the combine is that um, they still believe that Bryce Young is QB one. Now, okay. he measured a smidge less than that, you know, had he not have the you know the the hand size that he has, we'd probably be talking about something different. But the body of work, the fact that this the this the blue chippers in this class, like there's not as many. From what these guys tell me, I'm, I'm not watching film. Like that's right. not my bag. I talk to smart people. Um, there aren't the number of kids who you would say that's a top five pick, that's an automatic top ten pick, in pretty much any draft. You know, there 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 aren't as many sure thing, you know, immediate studs in this draft as others. So that element, coupled with, I mean, how you make the argument, you know, seven eight teams in the top ten need a quarterback. Plus the fact that there are four who are takeable in the first round and, you know, are going to, they're going to have to go high. Um, I think that's created a scenario where, yes, if, you know, he, none of them are, are plug and play sure things like that. There's no Andrew Luck in this draft. There's no Trevor Lawrence. But right. 
he has the fewest on-field warts. He's the most developed in that regard. Um, and he's, he's just big enough, you know, to, I think, merit him staying in the eyes of these evaluators where he was seen based on the film, you know what I mean, and based on the production only through the season, which was the best quarterback in this draft. But a year from now, USC and North Carolina and Florida State have a kid who's better than any of these kids. Right, right. Caleb Williams, a local kid from Gonzaga, yes. you know, who, who did an amazing thing the other day, Jason. He announced he wants to play in Miami. He totally undercut Tua. He just... It's, it was. Did you see that? It was did, unbelievable but... to me that a player would do that and not take a lot of grief for it. Yeah, well, uh, you know, like, you got to do what you got to do. He listed the look, receivers knows? that he wanted to throw to at Miami and ignored the fact that they had a quarterback. They didn't mention well, him. They have a quarterback now, but I don't. Right. I don't. But he'll I mean, be broken. Again, be careful what you read. Like, yeah, he'll what be they broken. whisper to people and what the industry perceives them as capable of or trying to do behind the scenes are two different things. So right. yeah. I don't think they fully embrace the future, you know, where we'll find out. Look, they got an opportunity to pay Tua now. You know, he's played his three years. He changed agents. He wants a deal. You know, if they're no, not able to get anywhere close and you have the specter of, you know, the repeated brain injuries on top uh, of it. Honestly, like, his agent should be Blue going. Cross Blue Shield because he's in the wrong business. He's, it's, it's sad because he's a great talent and yeah. he wants to play but his body lets him down repeatedly. It's just, it's one of those deals. All right, plug your radio show for us. Uh, you can listen to me uh, yap and yammer from 2 to 6 Eastern every weekday here in Baltimore on 105.7 The Fan. Or you can tune in on the Odyssey app. And you can check me out on the Washington Post. Um, as yeah, you're in today. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you never know where else I'll pop up, Tone. You know, you've okay. you got to hustle. Got a hustle, brother. No, I'd like to see you on the mask singer. I think that would be good. No, no, that'll be something. Something really went askew if that's the case. But I'm not saying I'm above it. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, guys. Jason Lockenfora, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Bob Ryan to talk about uh, Jim Beheim mostly. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Kevin Johnson and Nick Bowen. This is a song called Last All Night. And they write, here's the first song off our upcoming album, Calm to Chaos, which was released February 24th, wherever you listen to music, Calm to Chaos. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy. Last All Night. They've, they've sent us stuff before. Nick Bowen has sent Nick us Nick Bowen stuff is, I think this is the first. Um, with Kevin Johnson. With Kevin Johnson, yeah. But Nick, Nick Bowen sent us stuff yeah, before. Yeah, always good stuff. Michael, if people like Kevin Johnson and Nick Bowen want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing jingles at com. Bob Ryan joins us, the quintessential American sports writer who was in New York for the Big East tournament. And originally what I said was, let's get Bobby on the show to talk about Jim Beheim, And we're going to do that. But we got to start. With Patrick Ewing, somebody you covered in college and in the pros and you've known for a long time. I I said in the open of this show, Bob, that I didn't think Georgetown would do this. I thought they should because the results were terrible, but I didn't think they would. I thought they'd wait to the end of the contract. What are your thoughts on Patrick Ewing no longer coaching Georgetown? Well, it's appropriate move. It's an intelligent, uh, uh, necessary. It is right. necessary for their program. They are 
they're milking, leaking fans. I, I believe I was told they had like 3,000 people Less. in that cavernous building. Yeah. Uh, they're going to lose spon- donors. They're going to lose sponsors. He's costing them money in addition to whatever salary he's getting. Uh, they're terrible. The, the, the humiliation of losing 29, I believe it was 29, you may know the number, straight conference games, uh, their, their, their irrelevancy in general, uh, it's, it's just shocking. It's a shame, it, it, but it had to happen. But uh, I've been hanging around here with all these people that know 10 times more about the college basketball scene right now than I do, and, and, and what you said is exactly what the sentiment was. Yeah, they're going to, they should do it, but will they have the, you know what, the yeah. cronies to do it? I didn't think they uh, would. He's, he's royalty. And, and, you know, and one thing we heard, he only got the job because Big John told them that if you're going to fire my boy, JT3, that you better hire a pastor. That's right. And they did. And you see, he wasn't up for it, period. Uh, you know, they're, 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 this is shocking So how bad they are. So, um, but it, it was a tough move for the, for the president. I understand that. And it was the president, not the AD. AD That's right. Power with, and uh, it was John's association with the president. So it's happened. And now Georgetown fans can breathe a sigh of relief. And, of course, now the great speculation of who is it going to be. And, uh, and we'll see. Okay. Let me move to Beheim because I wanted to talk about this. Yeah. How far did you go back with Jim Beheim? Uh, oh, you'll love this story. It's 1964. I'm a freshman at Boston College. And on a Saturday morning in November, the morning of an afternoon football game, there is a, they call it a scrimmage uh, between Boston College and Syracuse. It's a full-scale exhibition game with referees and cr- crowd, etc. I am trying out for the play-by-play broadcast job as a freshman and we're competing with two other guys. And uh, the starting backcourt for Syracuse was Dave Bing and this bespectacled, skinny, dorky-looking guy, Jim Beheim. That's how far back I go with Jim Beheim. And, uh, and then, of course, knowing him as the coach all, you know, throughout the years. Um, he, uh, th- this is a unique story, at least in college basketball. Nobody, nobody has more, a closer association or more distinct association with a university in the history of college basketball than Jim Be- Beheim in Syracuse. So you might say, well, what about Dean Smith? Dean Smith went to Kansas. No, he no. coached at Air Force. No. What about John Wooden? John Wooden went to Purdue. He coached at Indiana State. On and on and on it goes. There's nobody that is so associated with one school and one city as in college basketball history as Jim Beheim is with Syracuse. I can, I've said this a thousand times. I'll say it again. There was a period of time when Rick Pitino was one of the assistants at Syracuse, and Pitino and the other assistants were sitting around with Beheim, and they were much younger men. And the question came up, if you could live anywhere in the country, anywhere, where would you live? And everybody <laughs> talked about New York and L.A., and they looked at Beheim, and he said Syracuse. Yeah. At Syracuse. Uh, and he made Syracuse a destination for athletes in the United States of America. And for those people like me that grew up where I grew up, that's impossible. And he did it, right, Bobby? He did it. Yes, he did. He did. And, and uh, just to touch the, the player that turned the corner, that turned them from being pretty damn good to being, you know, really great for 20, 20 years was Stevie Thompson. Mm-hmm. And the story from L.A. Stevie Thompson was he grew up in L.A., and he would come home from school at 4 in the afternoon and watch the big Monday game from the Carrier Dome and he, and, and with 30,000 people, and it fired him up, and that is why he went to Syracuse. And that, you know, Now, of course, the great st- irony there is that Beheim was distraught about leaving Manly Fieldhouse 
and and uh, you know they thought we're going to lose our home court edge. You know who's going to come? How are we going to fill that empty build that big huge building? We all know what happened. No one knew what uh, that, that they had tapped into something so so you know bountiful for them in Syracuse uh, once they put the carrier dome up and they started selling out the place. Uh, but uh, yeah, he did that. He made Syracuse a destination. How much did he help the Big East, and how much did the Big East help him? Oh well, they you know he's one of the you know that core group that uh, that got it started and and uh, with Wally and and, and Louis and, and 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 so forth and John and, uh, John you know Big yeah. John yeah and and you know of course Dave Gavitt's great creation uh, oh, of course I mean it was mutually beneficial the league that league you know uh, peaking actually a little too soon because in eighty it's it's thirty eight years since they put three teams in that final four which no conference has ever done before or since uh, oh it was a golden era but oh absolutely and uh, you know he just he, so he, they needed each other. Um, if you want to look at numbers with Bayheim, he went to five Final Fours. I think he went to two championship games. Keith Smart beat him in three championship games. Yeah. Keith Smart beat him in one, and he won one with Carmelo Anthony. He won more yep. games than anybody but Mike Krzyzewski, who's probably his closest friend in the coaching community. There's, you know, there, I, I, it's... He's unknockable, right? He's unknockable. Well, I mean, the, you know, the, it's so funny. For a long, he had to, for a long time, uh, he was accused by many of just being a recruiter and, and mm-hmm. just roll out the ball. And of course, he, he that was not fair. And 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 he proved it. He, a lot of his good players were not that highly recruited. They weren't five stars at all. That's right. A lot of them. And and that's number one. Number two, uh, he can coach. He coach. And, and of course, he the trademark two three zone. You know, he lived and died with it, and and uh, uh, that was his. But uh, the, uh, he was a good coach, he, and, and no question. Uh, so, but that that, that legacy, uh, of course, the '87. If they made a few free throws, uh, well, that was Derek Coleman. They, they might have won that game. But you know, you, they they. I'm, I'm glad he got that. He, he got that one. You know, he and Gary went back to back. That was yeah. That was, that was great stuff for me. Uh, I can tell you that. I can I can still see that block shot right in front of me that saved the Kansas game in the '03. So I will say this: Warwick, Hakeem Warwick, made that great block that saved the game. Beheim did not have that many great pros. I mean, it, this, no. this has to be said good. that the people he was recruiting were not the people that Shishevsky was recruiting or that Self is recruiting now or that Calipari could. No, he did. He no. didn't have that many great pros. He made great uh, college teams, though, right? I'm trying to think of who we would say would be his signature pro, and I'm I'm, I'm stumped right now. Lewis Orr? I don't know. I would have said Derek uh, Coleman or Carmelo Anthony, Coleman, but Carmelo yeah, was there Coleman. an hour. And who should have been in the Hall of Fame, but he didn't have the, shall we say, the drive that he needed. But, yeah, he's the best player probably. But, uh, no, yeah, no, see, this is point. We, we are in agreement there. That, and you analyze the, the nature of his recruits com- compared to Krzyzewski and, and, and Dean, I mean, for example, uh, and, and even others in this league, uh, the, the, uh, it, it, they, weren't this, they weren't as good. That's, a te- that's coaching. That's coaching. So he's... he's... Well, he's the only coach older than me, so there's no older coaches than me. But he's 78 years old. He won championships, and he coached his sons. He had to know, right? He had to know this was coming. Oh, you would think, you know, and it would be better if he had fallen on his sword. He didn't really, you know, of course, the great question when I was two nights ago when this came about was, you know, did he jump off the ledge or was he pushed? No matter what they say, you know, it, it, it seems that he may have been pushed. And that's, 
it didn't end the way it should. You know, the, the, I, we, we, you worried about this all along. How will these things end? And and you know, Dean ended gracefully, and Roy ended gracefully, and 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 uh, but uh, this is, and Kay ended. You know, they didn't win, uh, but he ended. You know, with dignity. Uh, but the, the Syracuse thing, and you know, they were they were pretty bad, and and, and this wasn't the way it should happen. So this uh, this is my question, and I know Jim Beheim a long time, and I know him pretty well, and you do too. And he is petulant by nature. He is by nature irascible. He is by nature a trash talker. He is somebody that likes to gain an advantage very early in whatever the relationship is. And we, you and I, find this charming. But I didn't find it charming the way he went out. And I don't understand why he did it that way. And he controlled that. Huh? He reverted to his worst instincts rather than his best. And and because remember the verb that was attached to him throughout the seventies, eighties, and nineties. Weiner. Wine. Yeah. Wine. Weiner. No other coach was so associated with that term. Than, <laughs> That's right. For, that, as Jim Beheim. Yeah. He just it's just his, his sardonic nature. He he pretty unfiltered. You know, which was nice for the media. You know, yeah. but I don't know about how well he actually got along with the local media over the years. I I have no. I never heard much one way or the other. How I mean, I heard differences. How difference between K. How he got along with the national media better than the local media, and a lot of times. And um, I don't know if Beheim fell into that category or not. But I do know that uh, yeah, as soon as you started mentioning that, I think wine that word the word comes right up. Yeah. Well, he also had. He was uniquely gifted with his visage to look like a whiner and he would throw his hands up on his head and oh, he yeah. would look at you and you would go just sit down <laughs> i mean there's got there's no ref in america that didn't want to tee him up five times a game right none there's none. yeah yeah, yeah you know. that's true no that was that was, that was part of the package you know yes we, we can we can laugh about it but uh, yeah that's true no question about it i also found him to be in private moments that we had very generous extreme i mean mm-hmm. i really liked him and i think Bobby, I think most people who covered him really, you know, from a national media standpoint, out of town anyway, I think they liked him, don't you? Yeah, well, in the, uh, um, let's see, was it Beijing? I guess it was, I think it was, yeah, it was Beijing Olympics. I went to a practice, and I got into their practice, and, and he saw me and greeted me. It was like, like a long-lost brother. It was really nice, you know. So, yeah, he, he can be, uh, and we, I remember, and my wife and I, after one year, uh, when, after the, uh, the Hall of Fame ceremonies in Springfield. We went out at the back at the hotel bar with him, and, and uh, he was charming. He yeah. was wonderful. Yeah, I really liked him. Bobby, thank you so much for being on. If you see Dorothy Parker at the round table, let us know and say <laughs> hi, okay? I've been looking for and, and but, but Benchley says uh, that, that you, you need to clean up your acting. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Ryan, boys and girls. We will take a break. We have email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Love Hot Pink Hangover. You blush every so time. I'm sorry that they're not 
I need to reunite anymore. Do you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say I'm going to write a little letter. I'm going to mail it to my local DJ. It's a jumping little record. I want my jockey to play. Roll over, Beethoven. Got to hear it again today. You know, my temperature's rising. The jukebox blowing a fuse. Heart's beating rhythm. and soul keeps singing the blues. Roll over, Beethoven. Tell Tchaikovsky the news. I once wrote a column that started, Roll over, Krzyzewski. Tell Valvano the news. <laughs> Chuck Berry, boys and girls. I can do this whole song. Don't tempt me. Thanks to our guests, Bob Ryan, Jason Lock, and Fora. Thanks to today's sponsors, HelloFresh and Etsy. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. So, I'm just going to start with one that's not about dogs. And then we're going to go into the dogs go thing. Logo, I'm yeah. going to preface it for dogs a second. Dogs and poop, yes. Uh, this I comes from walk. DG Hagen dazs 394 at Walmart. Shabbat Shalom, DG. <laughs> so thank you. Now, I knew we were going to get a lot of emails about uh, Chessie and her lack of regularity pooping these days. Although I will say this morning she pooped and I was very happy about that. I, I asked for vets. Okay, and, I, and I, I haven't read these yet, but I think I'm going to get involved in a situation where something goes like this. I'm Bill from Des Moines. I'm not a vet. I own a string of dry cleaners, but my cousin had a dog and. Man, I just, that's my fear, right? That's my fear as well. well I thank the vets for, our, for their service. but Yeah. From Pete Polkowski. I'm a retired dog trainer of 45 years. Don't recommend pumpkin for an older dog as it puts weight on the animal. My solution to your problem is to add more good bacteria to Chessie's diet by adding plain yogurt or buttermilk to her daily feeding, and she will love you for it. That goes in the pile of keepers. Yeah. That's from Patrick true. Sitter, as we know, from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I'm not a vet, but have you checked Chessie's anus for a ribbon? <laughs> from Cher. You read it. <laughs> the going in and the making walk are my new favorite phrases. Yeah, the making walk. Anybody who's got a dog knows about a making walk. From Raymond Hando in Flemington, New Jersey. I'm not a vet, but I believe Jim Steinman once wrote, two out of three ain't bad, so I wouldn't worry about Chessie's new bowel movement pattern. She's fine. From Mike Walichko in Chicago. Have you considered the possibility Chessie takes longer walks because she knows walking alleviates the pain in your leg? That's a good theory. That's a great theory. The the walks are becoming endless, (laughs) like hours out there. From Mark Mello from Vesper Country Club in Tynesboro, definitely not Revere, Revere, Massachusetts. My almost five-year-old 30-pound Pomeranian, photo attached for News Channel 8, has stopped pooping on his standard morning walk, even doubling the distance of his usual walk. He has stopped doing number two. I feel like if I don't walk him more, my wife will wake up with a mess on her hands. He's eating plenty of pumpkin, so it must be something else. I walk him at 5.30 in the morning before going to the golf course. I maintain the grounds at Vesper Country Club. Tell Michael, email me your to schedule a tea time. Vesper is on the Massachusetts-New Hampshire line. That goes into the save pile. (laughs) From Derek Lipson. Hey, Grandpa. Sideways Frisbee? Could be a blockage, maybe. Maybe. She ate an entire Frisbee. Maybe, but we haven't... She's not eating the Frisbees that we have... That Michael got for us. Like the Kong, is that... There's there's a few. These are the ones that the... uh, You read their emails about them. Listeners send in recommendations. From Brian Gelman. From a veterinary hospital. All right. As the previously designated official Canadian small animal veterinarian of the Tony Kornheiser show. I can't tell you how excited I was to hear Tuesday's opening. (laughs) This was my career-defining moment. As it can be normal for aging dogs to change 
defecatory behaviors. That's a great word, defecatory. It can also be suggestive of an underlying issue. Maybe Chessie would benefit from sharing some of your morning Metamucil shake to help normalize her bathroom breaks. One quarter teaspoon daily should do the trick. Or rather, she may be looking for a bit of encouragement or positive reinforcement from you during these early morning walks, a la Tom Arnold in Austin Powers. If all else fails, you can bring her to be actually evaluated by a vet instead of relying on the send me a box of that version from Brian Gelman. I have now taken to bringing biscuits with me and when she makes giving her a biscuit and saying good dog, maybe that will yeah, help. It'll carry. Yeah, as opposed to the state, want there to be poop anxiety. She can't do it. Well, you know. She wants the treat. She's going to have to work that out. <laughs> From Alan McCormick on Belvedere, Illinois, is the new game now our dog's bathroom habits? I have three dogs. I have a lot of material. <laughs> From Scott Gurney in East Selkirk, Manitoba, dogs pooping. Please tell me this won't be the new game. It's not. It's not the new game. It's uh, a one-day deal. Yeah. Greg Spinelli in McLean, Virginia. We had an older beagle with similar issues to Chessie. She would not poop as readily as she used to, and the walks got longer and longer. Then we realized she would poop as soon as we turned around and go home. Somehow she figured out that if we start heading home, she better get the job done. I had a sort of David Aldridge moment while watching the Nats game last week. It being spring training, they have a player or coach mic'd up almost every inning, and Tim Kirchin had some great conversations with them during the game. Well, he gets to manager, manager Dave Martinez, and the first question he asks him is, when was the last time he milked a cow? They went on to discuss the finer points of cow milking, with Timmy asking for a lesson sometime in the future. I'm thinking, where is Buster only when we need him? Also, can I be the official person with the best email address of the Tony Kornheiser show? Oh, this listener stinks. It's a fabulous email address. Why? Dave Martinez milked cows? I, I didn't know that. I had no idea. Buster, That's new for me. That was the only one. Uh, from Reese Knott, have you tried putting her on a pitch clock? If it can speed up Wander Suero, anything is possible. From Reese in old London town. P.S. I don't have a Chuck and Roxy episode number, and fear not, Dr. Hoffoff, I never will. I'm many things, but I'm no snitch. She'll pull his Scherzer and try and get you off balance. Uh, from it's Ryan Sweeney in Columbus, Ohio. Bitch. You seem to be lamenting Chessie going from three for three every day to being a two for three type of gal. Easy, Grandpa. Those are still Hall of Fame numbers. Well, they are. And That's I, you know, good point. And I, you know, I concede on all of these things. From Sean Bright, Chessie is having her. Fascia tighten up in old age. Similar to your hip, tightening down on the sciatic nerve. Her abdominal fascia is tightening down her guts. She's walking further to poop because motion loosens that fascia. She knows the looser it becomes, the easier the bowel movement. Happy to schedule a dual appointment for you and Chessie. Um, he's a vet, right? Um, sounded like I it. I think he's a vet. Yeah, that's uh, another legit one. Okay, so we're off that now. So, okay, let me do this one thing. Dusty Lopez in Williamstown, Massachusetts. Listening to the recent discussion of Hoka and other running shoes, I was absolutely delighted to hear the email sent in by Ben Rosario. In 20 years of listening to the show, I've dragged my family to breakfast at Chatter during a visit to D.C., had a David Aldrich moment when meeting Ed Butt at a summer of Little's event in Frankfurt, Michigan a few years ago. Now had my first real I-know-that-guy moment, courtesy of Ben. I met Ben long before he moved to Flagstaff to coach professional marathoners. Back in 2007, I had moved to St. Louis as another step in my own coaching career. I connected to the local running community just as Ben was starting a very successful running store business there. He put on a summer running camp for high school kids, and I worked at his camp every year, making friends and sharing coaching ideas. We quite literally ran in the same circles for about five years, and I've been thrilled to follow his success with Hoka's Northern Arizona Elite Team. In all this time, I had no idea as little. It blew my mind to finally feel an up-close example of how the show provides connective tissue, even beyond what we're aware of. If you read this on the show, please let Ben know 
that cross country and track teams at Williams College is full of Hoka fans, and we'd love to show him around our great running trails if he's ever got time to visit Western Mass while accompanying his athletes to the Boston Marathon. These are for me. It's amazing. These are extraordinary. Yeah. These are extraordinary emails. <laughs> I had a conversation with my high school friend Stephen Pearsall last night, who lives in upstate New York. And we were talking about Jim Beheim because he had gone, he not only played at Penn and was the starting guard, he's known Beheim for a thousand years and goes to a lot of the Syracuse games. His daughter went to Syracuse, played lacrosse. You know, and he said, and he listens. And he said, it's unbelievable. Like, I listen. I, it's just <laughs> unbelievable, that community. And I said, yeah, we got, I don't know, well, we got 10, 15,000. He said, what are you talking about? <laughs> They're just on the numbers alone. It's got to be so much more than that. How would they know each other? Yeah, it's From amazing. Sue Meyer in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. On Friday show, you continued your call to action for free sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, you read an email from Coach Ben Rosario, executive director of the Hoka-sponsored NAS Elite, Northern Arizona, elite running team. I thought I know that coach. I am very much a mid-pack marathon runner, but I am more than familiar with Coach Rosario having read all of his books. I, I, what? More than one? <laughs> and followed the amazing performances of his Northern Arizona elite runners. Who knew he was a little? By the way, if, he take, if he's taking orders, I'm a nine and a half medium. <laughs> Kidding with this, right? One more. If we're still doing the one in a million stories, we are. Of course we are. Here's mine. In fact, this might just be the most important story I have to tell. Some years ago now, my marriage of nearly 10 years, shall we say, took a nosedive. So after a hiatus, I found myself back on the dating scene. Somewhat reluctantly, I went out with a woman I met online. After we'd been talking for a while, I realized we didn't even know each other's last names, which felt weird to me. When I shared mine, she pointed at me and she shouted loud enough to make the tables around us turn. You fish-hooked your mom. I rocked back, rocked back in my chair. How did she know that story? I never told that story, ever. When I was about eight years old, I was on a fishing outing with Cub Scouts. Some ill-advised individual had given me a rod with a monstrous fishing lure on the end. That thing must have had six or eight barbs on it. And being a kid, I didn't think to look behind me when I cocked the rod over my shoulder for a cast, sending the hooks right into my mom's left cheek. <laughs> My mom, God lover, didn't make a sound as the scoutmaster used a pair of wire cutters to clip the hook from the lure before driving us to the hospital. Like I said, I don't tell that story. (laughs) So how did this apparent stranger know about it? We soon figured out that we had gone to elementary school together. And not only that, but her brother and I had played soccer together. In fact, the reason she knew that story at all was because her brother and father were on that fishing trip with me. (laughs) Some 30 years later, we met in a pub for dinner. A year and a half after that, we got married. I was wearing an Indochino suit, and yes, I used the code. What are the chances? Chris Bansels, Forest Hill, Maryland. Wow. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Hola, nosotros somos Pineapple Landscape y escuchamos el show de Tony Kornheiser. Pero este show apesta.